Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about pre-qualification questionnaires. And today's episode meets PC2 and PC5 of the Part 3 criteria. So let's start by setting out what do we mean when we refer to a pre-qualification questionnaire in construction and what is it? So a pre-qualification questionnaire, also known as PQQ, which you may have uh, previously heard of in practice, um, is essentially, as the name suggests, uh, a questionnaire that sets out a series of questions for potential tenderers to answer regarding their financial position, relevant knowledge and experience and technical capability to deliver a specific project. So the PQQ essentially acts as the first stage of tendering as a filtering document whereby a number of contractors express their interest to tender for a job and the PQQ enables the client to narrow down the preferred contractors to then be invited to officially tender. So the form itself should be focused and simple to complete and be very clear on what the tender process is for so the prospective tenderers can assess if they have the required experience and capacity to take the project on. So what do PQQs typically include in terms of format and information? So they will typically include the project overview, the procurement process, uh, any studies regarding the project, also relevant qualifications companies can present, uh, criteria and tests that will evaluate the pre-qualification statement and a timetable. And then, so that's what the general format and information of the PQQs uh, includes then what type of information does the PQQ usually request from tenderers? So this typically includes company details, including details of the organization, their company registration, uh, their VAT number and so on, details of their insurance cover, uh, financial information, including providing recent accounts and evidence of cash flow, uh, any relevant experience that they might have, Uh, information about technical and professional ability, uh, also information about capability and capacity, their health and safety policy, their quality assurance policy, such as uh, if they're following the ISO 9001 requirements, uh, if they have an environmental management policy uh, following the ISO 14001 requirements, uh, their equal opportunities policy, their general data protection regulation policy, any relevant references, any case studies and testimonials, and their BIM assessment. So the responses to the questionnaire tend to be evaluated using a scoring method agreed uh, in advance. And if a tenderer doesn't manage to reach a specific rating against any of the key criteria, they will be excluded from the evaluation. So, What are the general benefits of using PQQs? So PQQs tend to uh, save time 
uh, for project managers and or business owners in quickly uh, assessing who is relevant for the job. Also filtering out any unqualified contractors, assisting clients to focus only on people who have the expertise required, which then leads to cost savings. And it also ensures that any contractor that makes the shortlist can meet the requirements and terms in the contract. So there are actually different types of PQQs, which can be used by both private and public sector clients to assess uh, tender candidates. So you have the standard pre-qualification questionnaire, which, as mentioned, is a list of questions a contractor is required to answer when applying for a contract. This PQQ can then be used by both private and public sector clients. And they are beneficial when a large number of applications for tenders come through, enabling clients to shortlist the most appropriate contractor. So this type of PQQ typically includes uh, pass or fail questions, as well as uh, scores questions, whereby the contractor that has a higher score will be accepted for the contract. Now, when it comes to public sector clients, the government requires public clients to use what is known as the PASS 91 uh, pre-qualification questionnaire, which uses uh, standardized wording, uh, making the tendering process less extensive for tenderers and provides greater clarity on the tender process. So in the construction industry, PASS 91 is recommended as a minimum standard for construction public procurement. And similarly with the standard pre-qualification questionnaire, PASS 91 also requires information from tenderers when it comes to their finances, environmental policy, social policy, health and safety, their company status, uh, competitive edge, uh, and so on. Uh, PASS 91 also aims to increase the consistency between pre-qualification questionnaires and databases, resulting in clients finding the most qualified contractors. Uh, then we also have the standard selection questionnaire, which aims to simplify the contractor selection process for smaller companies across the public sector. And it's essentially a self-declaration for the contractor to declare that they don't uh, meet any grounds for exclusion. But if it turns out there are grounds for exclusion, then the contractor will be given the opportunity to explain the background and any measures they have taken to rectify the situation. So the standard selection questionnaire, which is also known as SQ, is split into three sections. Section 1 includes basic company information. Section 2 is mandatory and discretionary exclusions. And Section 3 selection questions. And then lastly, we have the European Single Procurement uh, Document, which is an electronic self-declaration form used within public procurement and submitted by contractors that are interested in tendering for contracts within the EU. So the global goal of the European Single Procurement Document Questionnaire is to simplify the qualification process and become uh, more accessible. 
So once the relevant PQQs have been completed and selected and sent to the relevant tenderers for completion, and then they are sent back to the client for review, then the most appropriate and suitable contractors will be invited to tender, also known as uh, ITT. Uh, it is good practice to notify all interested bidders whether or not they have been included on the shortlist. So it's better to, even if they succeeded or not, um, just to send them an acknowledgement telling them what uh, the situation is. So the invitation to tender must then be sent in writing to each uh, contractor selected uh, to tender and should consist of details of the contract, including timescales for commencement and completion. It should also include conditions of the contract, and sometimes here the draft contract is included. Then it also has a pricing schedule, uh, details of scope of work or services, or the quantity and frequency of requirements of goods or services to be supplied. Also, it should state, depending on the size of the contract, uh, all procedural requirements, such as third-party inspections, any variations, the communication route, and names of people involved in discharging contractual requirements, and so on. Uh, it should also include the specification, which can be either a functional specification setting out the functions that the goods and or services are expected to fulfill or a technical specification setting out the technical characteristics of the goods and or services. Uh, it should also include any drawings or plans, any details of free issue goods, if any, and the arrangement of such free issue. Uh, it should also give details of submission of bids such as the time and precise location, and that late bids will not be accepted. Uh, it should also state the date of bid opening and whether it will be open or closed. Uh, open bidding is where all bidders have the option of being present to view and note total prices submitted by all bidders. This is often used overseas as a means of avoiding accusations of corrupt practices, as only those bids opened, registered, and with their total cost announced will be considered in the evaluation process. And where appropriate, information should be included on the tender evaluation methods that will be adopted. And then it, lastly, it should also include detail of the terms and conditions anticipated in any resultant contract so that bidders may take any special conditions into consideration when compiling their tender. So then once tenderers have prepared their tenders, it is normal procedure to conduct invitations to tender under the sealed bid process. So under the sealed process, every bid must be submitted sealed and only opened at the due time on the due date, which has been notified in the invitation to tender and tenders must be submitted by that date uh, and time at the latest. So bidders must describe in full how they will fulfill the requirements of the purchasing organization with details of delivery and payments. 
And the bid must also include a signed confidentiality agreement that there has been no uh, collusion between themselves and other bidders and that there has been no improper contacts or discussions with any of the client's staff. So the time allowed for the preparation of tenders should be determined uh, in relation to the size and complexity of the job. Uh, Inadequate tendering time can lead to mistakes and the client may not obtain the most competitive prices. So a minimum of four uh, working weeks should normally be allowed. And uh, if it's a major project, uh, plan and specification tenders may well require a longer period. So the tender period must be sufficient to enable the tenderer to obtain competitive quotes for the supply of materials and for the execution of works to be sublet. So the latest time for submission should be specified as an hour of a day and should be chosen to allow as short a time as possible to elapse before opening the tenders. Uh, So any tenders received after that time should not be admitted. So for fair competitive tendering, it's essential that the tender submitted by each invited tenderer be based on identical tender documents, known as a compliant tender, and that the tenderers should not attempt to vary the basis of their tenders. In some instances, though, the employer is prepared to receive alternative offers varying any aspect of the project specification, including an alternative contract period to which all tenderers should be notified uh, accordingly. Now, if an alternative offer uh, is to be provided, it should only be considered if it's accompanied by a compliant tender. So tenderers will essentially need to produce uh, two sets of tenders, one as per the tender requirements, which is the compliant tender, and another with the proposed uh, variation, which is the alternative offer. Now, this process of tendering is typically done under the single stage process. With the two stage tender, in order to facilitate the selection of a contractor at an early stage, the documentation provided at the first stage uh, is usually kept to a minimum covering the competitive basis for selection, the principles of layout and design, uh, provide pricing documents whereby provisions should be allowed to be made for the adjustment of price fluctuations during the period between the first and second stage uh, tenders, then also provide a program for the second stage procedures and the conditions of contract. So it should also state an explanation of the two-stage procedure together with any special requirements from the client and the nature and extent uh, of the contractor participation during the second stage. Then, similarly to the single-stage process, the tenderers are given an appropriate period of time to put together their initial tender for the first stage and the time allowed should be determined in relation to the size and complexity of the project. So once the first stage tenders are received, all should be evaluated and the three most favorable are informed immediately. Uh, Three tend to be retained so that if the lowest tenderer withdraws their offer, the second and third lowest tenderers are informed that their first stage tenders were not the most favorable received, 
but that they will be approached uh, again if it's decided to give further consideration to their offers. So then they should also subsequently be immediately notified following a decision being taken to recommend a tenderer for the second stage. Then the preferred tenderer at the first stage should be notified uh, of acceptance of their tender in writing with the acceptance stating the process if either party decides to withdraw from the second stage at any time. Uh, it states the entitlement and method of ascertaining costs that may have uh, been incurred by the employer and or the successful contractor in the second stage. Uh, if the second stage doesn't proceed and also stating the method of reimbursement for any work done on site before acceptance of the second stage contract sum should the second stage procedures prove abortive. So essentially they put a mechanism in place or a process in place uh, that if one party or the other party decides to withdraw from the second stage that the necessary measures are put in place to cover both parties. So then once those items have been agreed and accepted between the employer and the contractor, they proceed to the second stage, whereby the employer's professional team and selected contractor develop the design and production of information to then enable the preparation of the bills of quantities for the works priced uh, on the basis of the first uh, stage tender resulting in an acceptable sum for inclusion in a form of contract. So on completion of the second stage procedures and appointment of a contractor, each of the first stage tenderers should be advised and given a full list of the first stage uh, tender offers for their records and to know uh, where they missed out and why they weren't uh, chosen. So that covers what I wanted to discuss today about uh, pre-qualification questionnaires and the invitation to tender process uh, from then on. Uh, and to sum up what I discussed today, a pre-qualification questionnaire is a standard form used to shortlist contractors for the invitation to tender. Tenderers are assessed against their financial, technical and professional capability. Their responses to the questionnaire are evaluated using a scoring method agreed in advance. There are a few different types of pre-qualification questionnaires, some of which include the standard uh, PQQ used by both private and public sector clients. Uh, then you also have the PAS 91 pre-qualification questionnaire required by public sector clients. Uh, another is the standard selection questionnaire, which aims to simplify the contractor selection process for smaller companies across the public sector. And also the European single procurement document, an electronic self-declaration form used for public procurement tendering for contracts within the EU. Uh, once the PQQs have been completed, the most appropriate and suitable contractors are then invited to tender whereby the contractors either tender under a single or a two-stage process. So I would expect if you did have uh, a question or 
um, coursework uh, when it comes to this uh, specific subject, either PQQ or invitation to tender, uh, the question would probably consist of you outlining what um, a pre-qualification would consist of, so what you would be asking from contractors, and which is what we said, which is their financial position, uh, their policies, uh, their capability, and so on. And also they might ask you um, how you would select the most appropriate contractor and the due diligence carried out in selecting uh, the most appropriate contractor. So that if for any reason the client isn't happy with that uh, contractor chosen, you have evidence that you carried out your due diligence and that the specific contractor was chosen for all the right reasons and that they ticked all the boxes as per required by the PQQ. So that's what I wanted to cover today under PQQ and invitation to tender. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.